0: KSQD thanks The Opening, a center for courses in writing, for supporting the story behind the story. The Opening offers classes, book completion groups, and writing retreats in Santa Cruz and online, led by award-winning local writer Andy Couturier, author of The Abundance of Less. More information at theopening.org or 831-728-9983. Thank you, The Opening, for supporting community radio, KSquid, 90.7 FM.
1: You're listening to K-Squid, Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM, Many Voices, Community Radio.
0: This is Story Behind the Story. I'm Clara Shirley Appel, and my guest today is Lila Sturges. Lila has worked in comics for the last decade, writing for a wide range of series and imprints. In the DC and Marvel universes, she's worked on Jack of Fables, Thor Season 1, House of Mystery, and more. Her work also includes fantasy outside the superhero genre, such as Alice's Story, a graphic novel adaptation of the best selling novel The Magicians by Lev Grossman. She won a PRISM Award in 2013 for her graphic novel, Infernal Compass, part of the Lumberjanes comic book series created by Shannon Waters, Grace Ellis, Brooklyn A. Allen, and Noelle Stevenson about the adventures of a group of girls at a summer camp. Later this month, she will release the second graphic novel in that series called The Shape of Friendship. That's the topic of our conversation today. Lila Sturges, welcome to Story Behind the
1: Story. Hi, thanks so much for having me. As a comic
0: writer you're often coming into an existing franchise and writing stories and characters that originate with someone else's ideas. What kind of stories do you find most compelling? And what would you like to see more of in comics?
1: Well, it's interesting when you come into a story universe that someone has already created, because often in those situations, you find yourself constrained a bit in that you can't really change the characters much from what they've been designed to be. So, for instance, when I was writing a Thor story, you know, I couldn't really have Thor come out as gay. I couldn't, you know, have Thor decide to give up being a superhero and, you know, move to Cleveland and start (laughs) a family. These are things that you, you can't really do. One of the things that I really like to see in stories is people you know, evolving through making big choices. I like to see the repercussions of big choices and big life events. So sometimes I find myself a little at cross purposes when I'm telling those kinds of stories. I, I think what I would like to see in terms of those big superhero universes, especially, is freedom for storytellers to do whatever they want and not be constrained by ideas about continuity hmm. because I feel like that's a well that, that we keep going back to with diminishing returns. And it would just be fun to see all these characters re-presented in different ways that allow them to represent different things. I think that would be fascinating. You know, there's this, um, this guy on the internet who uh, Cosplays a Superman, a black man that cosplays a Superman. And I want to see black Superman, you mm-hmm. know? Like, yeah. I want to see that story. So I feel like if, taking the wheels off the cart in some of these ways would be really fascinating. I'd like to see more of it.
0: Well, and I mean, it seems like. In superhero comics and fantasy and sci-fi genres in, in general, there are so many mechanics that you could invoke to make that happen, right? It's not really a restriction of the genre so much as a restriction of the way it's been done.
1: Right. It's more of a, a business concern than it is a storyteller concern.
0: Mm. As a storyteller, that must be kind of a hard, a hard restriction to work with.
1: It is, but at the same time, you know that when you're going into to play with someone else's toys, that there are, you know, rules about how you get to play with those toys. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's kind of a deal, and you live with it.
0: Comics aren't the only kinds of stories you've written, of course. You have two novels and a few short stories and edited collections mm-hmm. of your own. How is your process different when you're writing for comics than when you're working in another medium? Other than what we just talked about, of course, the sort of coming into someone else's world well you know
1: writing comics is something because I've done so much of it but every time I come back into writing prose it's a a stark reminder that when you're doing comics uh, you are only doing part of the work Hmm. because when I am writing a comic book script I know that I have Uh, a group of creative professionals who come after me, who tell the story also, Mm.
0: um,
1: especially the the line artist who is doing the bulk of the storytelling work. So I know that I can write in a panel description, such and such a character is sad and she's lying down because she's sad, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's all I have to say. Um, But when I'm writing that in a novel, I actually have to come up with, pretty words to express that because I don't have these amazing pictures to tell the story for me. And so I'm always like, Oh gosh, I have to describe this. (laughs) (laughs) so Yeah. Much more descriptive than functional language. (laughs) Yes. So I think that's the the biggest difference. And so when I go back to prose, which is something I, I love doing, it's always a bit difficult, um, to get going for, for that reason. I wrote a short story for, um, a comic book called Lazarus that uh, Greg Rucka does. Um, And he wanted to do some prose stuff in the, uh, for like backup material. And so I worked on this short story and it nearly killed me. And Greg was so uh, generous with his time and his editing skills that it all came together really, really well. But I was. I thought I was going to die trying to write that thing.
0: <laughs> is it just because it was because you hadn't used that muscle in a while, or is it like is there an emotional element to it too?
1: Yeah, well, there was. I, I, I think because I want to find my existence as a writer, um, and so I I know that I write good dialogue because I've been writing comic book dialogue for so long. Um, but I wanted to also prove that I could write. You know, well-written prose. Um, and that is, like you say, a whole different muscle. And trying to flex that muscle when it had been laying dormant for quite a while at that point um, proved to be pretty taxing.
0: So I want to ask you a little bit about this. I mean, I want to ask you a lot about this particular book. Um, but just to start, what is The Shape of Friendship about, um, and how does it fit into the Lumberjanes series and to Infernal Compass, which is the the previous Lumberjanes book that you wrote?
1: Just to give you a little background, um, the Lumberjanes ongoing series, it's an ongoing tale about these five girls over the course of a single summer and the adventures that they have at summer camp. And the series proved to be pretty successful. And so boom, the publisher decided they wanted to do a like a companion series of graphic novels. And they asked me to write them. And one of the things that we wanted to do in the graphic novels to differentiate them from the series was make them a little more um, a little more mature, hmm. a little more um, feelings-y in the sense that we're exploring the relationships among the characters a little bit more, uh, maybe aiming for a slightly older reader who might, have started reading Lumberjanes when they were a little younger and now maybe Mm. want something a little meatier. So we're trying to stay true to what Lumberjanes is while also maybe going a little deeper with the characters and their relationships. And I thought that was a really fun challenge to take on. But at the same time, I wanted to keep that sort of Lumberjanes spirit of wackiness and silliness. Um, For each of these graphic novels, we're focusing on two of the primary characters. And In Shape of Friendship, we're focusing on Joe and April, and Joe and April have always been best friends. Joe is now forming a friendship with another character named Barney, and it's sort of stressing April out. It becomes this question of of what does it mean to be sort of truly yourself when other people have expectations of you? Hmm. So to sort of dramatize that whole notion, we have these little uh pukas who are these folklore characters who are shapeshifters that can turn into anything and the pukas are living in a very well decorated little cave that's an abandoned mine in the woods and when the Lemonjanes go to visit them and they start telling them about the camp and how wonderful it is the pukas decide that they want to see it for themselves because uh, they don't have anyone to take care of them and they would like to be they would like to live a different life. And so they trap the Lumberjanes in their cave and go back to camp impersonating the Lumberjanes to become sort of like the perfect campers. And so the Pukas are not being their true selves. Um, mm. And so that's kind of how it all ties together. And then madness ensues, of course.
0: <laughs> One of the things I found interesting about the Pukas, once I sort of realized that there was that sort of layering of like different characters and different sort of groups of characters being or not being themselves. It made me more interested in the fact that they're, they're not really individuated for most of the story. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and part of, I think what they, they latch to in the lumberjanes is the fact that they are individuated, that like it's a group of characters, but they each have their sort of individual identities. Was that sort of an intentional layer and in part of the story or is it?
1: It started because there, there was just like a funny joke that the, that, the pukas are indistinguishable from each other and their names are all, they're all named puka. Um, <laughs> right. And it creates some confusion even among the pukas when they can't figure out which puka they're talking about when they're talking about. And so it kind of becomes, yes, that that joke sort of grew into a um, sort of a metaphor for uh, identity or a an inability to have an identity. And the pukas are definitely latching on to the lumberjanes as a way to express an identity, or to have an individual identity, so yes, definitely.
0: You said that both of these center on relationships that are in the midst of some kind of change, right? So in the first one, it's uh, Mal and Molly's developing romantic relationship, and in this one, it's sort of the, mm-hmm. the evolution of April and Joe's friendship as they get older and as Joe comes into herself a little bit more these relationships exist in the comic books themselves. Um, So what are you trying to do differently as you're exploring them in more depth in this format?
1: I think what we're trying to do is allow the characters to grow a little bit and grow up a little bit while still kind of keeping within the framework of the stories. So we know that, you know, these girls are going to get older. And we don't want them to have to be little kids and I, I, mm. forever. And so I think there's this very special time in a person's life, and it's in that middle school time, when you're really, there's this tension between childhood and oncoming adulthood, and you're not sure where you stand. So you start having all these questions about, well, what does it mean to have real relationships with people who aren't in my family? And what does it mean to be me in the way that I define myself, as opposed to me in the context of how I've grown up and have been seen by the people around me? Um, And these are really important questions for young people. In the previous book, The Infernal Compass, one of the things that we really try to show is that Molly's problem as she's dealing with losing her friends because of this magical compass, she really can't articulate what her problem is. Mm. And so a lot of, I think what we're trying to do in these Jane stories is give kids language to express these feelings that they have, but are very common feelings. These feelings of, um, I'm worried about how my friends are going to react to this relationship that I'm having. I'm worried about how my best friend is going to feel if I become friends with somebody else. Baseline, really important things for people that age, but they speak to something larger about all human relationships. It's just more fundamental at that age.
0: Well, and I think you sort of bring up an interesting point, which is one of the features I noticed about this book and about some of the other um, Lumberjane stuff that I looked at in preparation for this interview was the ways that there's sort of different levels of educational components built in. Mm -hmm. So some of them like this are, are just sort of woven into the fabric of the story and you get like a little bow summation at the end, um, to tell you what the lesson is like in a lot of like middle grade novels and things like that. Sure. But then there are these, there's a sort of more explicit side where you have, um, the pukas teaching a craft to Jen, the camp counselor, and, like, literally yep. showing kids how to do a craft and be part of it. And then on the less explicit side, you have this, this thing that's a feature of all of the Lumberjanes comics where these are there are these, like, exclamations. They'll, like, shout something. Instead of holy smokes, it'll be... Jackie Joyner-Kersee or yeah. <laughs> things like that. And I'm curious how you see those elements coming together, and especially because you're also a mother yourself. Like, how, how do these yeah. fit into the world of um, education for kids this age? And, how, yeah, how do you keep it, like, a fun and
1: balanced experience as a writer? Well, just to start, the um, the, the feminist exclamations are one of my <laughs> absolute favorite parts. Of They're so great. <laughs> They're so great. And um, our uh, amazing assistant editor, Sophie, keeps a spreadsheet of all of the exclamations so they're not repeated.
0: I was wondering about that.
1: Yes. I, I thought, well, oh, this would be good. And then I got to look at the spreadsheet and someone else has already done it. Um, my favorite one that I came up with was Audra, Lord, Have Mercy. Right. That was
0: an infernal which compass. Is in infernal
1: <laughs> compass. Yeah. It's pretty I good. Don't forget, I've talked talk to myself on that one um, anyway but yes the the idea is to do kind of a, a a shotgun approach where we primarily want the kids to come away having had fun right mm-hmm. um, like that's the the ideal but we know that that kids who read loma Janes especially and kids in general are smart and so if we say, you know, Audra Lord have mercy, they might go, <laughs> well, who is Audra Lord? Right. And then they might Google Audra Lord and they might learn something. And so I, I, I think what we're trying to do is like present this sort of smorgasbord of ideas for kids. And then they can take what is appealing to them and use that to hopefully, you know, evaluate their life and what's going on around them.
0: So you were a reader and a fan of the series before you started writing for it. How did elements like that land with you as an adult and, and what in general made the series compelling to you?
1: I mean, that to me was the absolute fun of it. (laughs) And the, the fact that it's fun first Mm. uh, was always a, a big deal to me. And the fact that it's very clever fun, and the sense that we're sort of like aiming a little over the kids' heads and assuming <laughs> that the kids are going to reach up and grab what's being lobbed at them, yes. you know. And that was always the kind of thing. You know, I was the kind of kid who, when I was little, I was always reading above my age level. And I always wanted to know more than what was being fed to me. You know, I always thought, well, what's what's the next thing? What's beyond this? Um, tell me more. So I think th- those are the kids that Lumberjanes is really going for and that's what I really love also it's just it's fun it's funny (laughs) it is it's clever and it can be really frenetic and silly Um, and you've got a character like Ripley who is just funny just by virtue of existing Um, there is no character that I've ever worked on that's more fun to write than Ripley just because she can't not be funny and that's (laughs) a fantastic character to have access to But, you know, it's funny, you you know, thinking about, you know, myself as a mom and and raising my two girls, um, this is exactly the kind of book that I I wish there had been more of um, when my girls were little because they would have really latched onto it for all those reasons that I just expressed. And, you know, when I meet kids, when I go and talk about the book and I meet kids, you know, I'll see these girls who remind me so much of my daughter's. You know, when I was in Los Angeles at this bookstore signing, I usually, when I go, I give a little talk because I'm expecting to talk to, like, middle schoolers. Um, And everyone in the audience of this event was, like, eight or nine years old. So I was like, well, they're not going to sit still for my presentation. (laughs) So um, I just, I brought them all up on stage with me, and we improvised a story about uh, dinosaurs, which was amazing, and we had so much fun. But what struck me was how smart these kids were and how, um, you know, there was uh, one little girl in particular who knew more about lumberjanes than I did. And just the fact that she's able to connect with it on that level is so powerful. You know, those things that we connect with when we're that age always come to mean so much to us. And we, you know, I I think about the things that, that affected me um, when I was that age I was a very, very young reader of the Dune novels. <laughs> um, I read, I read Dune when I was nine. Um, oh, wow, that's and, really young. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and so uh, a lot of a lot of my thinking is sort of like colored to this day by uh, by the politics and ecology of Dune, which is a really weird thing to say, but it's kind of true.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're really right that the the books we love as little kids really stick with us. And I think, you know, you ask anyone what was your favorite book as a kid, and it doesn't matter if they're 15 or 50, they're going to remember, <laughs> and they mm-hmm. can probably talk your ear off about it. One of the things that you mentioned was, you know, both before and then when you were just talking about Ripley now was that these characters have these very strong voices of their own, um, and mm-hmm. they're coming in midstream, right? Like you're sort of adapting to their voice. But I imagine there's a balance there as a storyteller about like bringing your what's unique about you into this world and its existing rules. So how do you do that, and how do you balance that?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I think you know one of the things to keep in mind about a kind of story like Lumberjanes is that the girls, as individuals, are all kind of aspects of one larger psychological entity, mm. right? Yeah, they're like it's archetypes. Like, <laughs> right. And they they all have something to say about different aspects of being a person. And so it's kind of like making these connections in your mind of like, okay, well, Ripley is kind of like my id, right? Like this is, you know, without any restrictions, how am I going to behave? You know, Mal is kind of like your fears, um, and April is your boldness. Um, and it's like every one of these characters has some archetypal element to them that you can really plug your own experience into. Mm. Um, and that makes it really easy to connect with them because we all have aspects of these characters within us because that's how they were designed. And so that wasn't really that difficult in this case. I've had other writing assignments where I didn't really connect with the characters that much and it was hard and unpleasant. and I didn't like it, um, but for Lumberjanes, it was very, very easy to connect with these girls and to um, sort of internalize their voices and be able to write them.
0: Mm. And what what are you trying to bring from yourself in this? Like, I think you get presumably you get hired as a writer not just for your ability to slot in, but also for for what you sort of bring on your own. What do you think makes your Graphic novel versions of Lumberjanes different from the comic or different from what somebody else might do in the same situation?
1: That's a really good question. One of the things that I talk about when talking about creativity is that the most valuable asset that you have as a creator is your own distinct voice, right? You have your own. Web of associations in your mind. You have your own unique set of experiences to draw on. You have your own memories. You have your own set of feelings. Hmm. And it's on one level sort of ineffable and undescribable. Every writer that you can think of has a voice that's unique in some way. It's not really something that you can put down as a set of bullet points necessarily. But you know it when you see it. Hmm. And it's because people are so complex and and multifaceted. But at the same time, you know, there are things that are, you know, more important to me than might be to other people. Um, And I think that the things that are most important to me when writing Lumberjanes is explicating feelings that are difficult to express.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Because a lot of my life has been spent trying to understand myself because I am a person who, you know, being a transgender woman, I didn't really have language to express who I was growing up. Yeah. And that made for a lot of confusion in my life. Um, And it wasn't until I sort of made this realization like, oh, that's what this is. Now I have the language to express it and I have context. And so I think providing the language and the context to young readers is really, really important because that's how you are able to process how you're feeling. When we, you know, when you're looking at a a kid who's really struggling, you know, a lot of that is that they're struggling because they don't know how to say what they're feeling. They don't understand what they're feeling. And so that's, to me, is a big part of what Lumberjanes is about in that feelings sense. Mm. I think also I really like comedy. (laughs) <laughs> and so uh, Romer gives you this great opportunity to do very broad, very silly comedy. And I really love how um, the artists that I'm working with on these books, uh Polter-Ink, she's so expressive and so good at doing comedy mm-hmm. and so good at the, like taking the cues that I give and bringing them forward in all these really delightful ways. You know, we, in, in, Type of friendship, there are these hummingbirds that are a very important part of
0: yes. the story.
1: So a who's uh, that's her sort of nom de plume. Her name is Claudia. She's Austrian and she was talking about how in um, in German they're called colibri hummingbirds and she really loves them. And so she kept finding ways to sort of like put them in these funny little places. And there's like <laughs> there's one panel where there's this one sitting on Ripley's head. Yes. <laughs> um, you know and that was all her. And so she just has this really great sense of fun and sense of humor that uh, gives so much to the book. And so I think those are probably like the two things that I emphasize more when I'm writing Lumberjanes that maybe other writers, you know, might emphasize different things. Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Tune in to our award-winning morning news program
0: right here during primetime, 8 o'clock weekday mornings, right here on Squid on KSQD. Our independent news program offers diverse perspectives, unique opinions unheard in the mainstream media, live as the news unfolds. Tune in for Democracy Now!, The War and Peace Report, weekday mornings at 8, right here on KSQD Community Radio, 90.7 FM. If you're just joining me, my guest today is Lila Sturges, whose book, The Shape of Friendship, follows the summer camp adventures of the Lumberjanes at Miss Kienzella Thisquin This Little Crumpets Camp for Hardcore Lady Types. One thing I found interesting about Lumberjanes, in contrast to some of the other projects of yours that I've read, like the sort of magician's Alice story, is that the story is told exclusively on the writing side through dialogue. There aren't the the kind of like, meanwhile, um, or sort of other narration bits at the top to move the story along. It's just the dialogue. Is that a conscious choice? Is that a a thing that's sort of endemic to Lumberjanes as a whole? Were you going for a particular effect?
1: It definitely is something that Lumberjanes does. Um, So we don't get narrative captions in Lumberjanes. That's not something we do. And I think that is, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. Is that um, one, Lumberjanes is a lot more about action. It's, a, it's about taking what's internal and rendering it as the mm. external. It's about dramatizing what's internal. And so we don't want to just narrate internal things in Lumberjanes because that's not the project, right? In a book like Alice's Story, it's very much about what the character Alice is thinking and feeling as these events are happening. And especially because, in that case, Alice's story is a response to the novel The Magicians. So it's, right. sort of, it's retelling the story of The Magicians, but from another character's point of view. And so I really wanted to dig deep into what that specific character was thinking and feeling. And so it's, it's really more about what are your Goals with the story. What are you trying to highlight or emphasize?
0: Yeah. So there's a vibe in this book and in the series as a, as a whole of sort of teaching by example, which we talked about in terms of the like vocal giving kids the language to vocalize their feelings. But there's also, right, characters make mistakes, but they pretty much always act with good intentions and they they learn from their mistakes and from each other. And I think that impacts the way that you can express conflict and drama. It's the the drama and conflict. Yeah, I, I think it impacts the way that you can express conflict and drama. And I'm interested to hear what you as a storyteller, how you approach that and how you think about those sort of different strategies for for dramatizing and carrying a story along and and dealing with those sort of character conflicts.
1: Sure. That's a very good question because, you know, the meat of... Drama is conflict, right? And so, when we're working on a story or trying to come up with an idea for a story, like the, one of the first things we start thinking about is, what I start thinking about is like, what is the primary conflict here? Within the lumberjanes, there's kind of this rule when we're talking about lumberjane stories, um, and they're created very collaboratively
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, with the the editorial staff at Boom and with Shannon Waters, who's sort of the the overseer um, of the Lumberjanes sort of franchise uh, to make sure that stories that are told in the Lumberjanes sort of meet the criteria of what makes Lumberjanes Lumberjanes. And one of the things is, is that the characters can't really be in direct conflict with each other,
0: hmm.
1: but the Lumberjanes themselves, um, because their friendship is their defining characteristic, right? Um, and they so they can't act against the nature of that friendship. So then you might think, well, how do you tell a story with these characters? <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they, they can't be in conflict with each other. Well, they can. Um, what they can't do is they can't fight with each other. But there's all sorts of underlying concerns and confusions and insecurities that we have amongst our peers that are really fruitful ways of getting at conflict. And then our primary conflicts within the terms of the story are the weird monsters and cryptids and things that are out in the forest. Although in most of the situations that we find in Lumberjanes, none of them are really malicious either. They're just misunderstood. (laughs) And so I think that speaks to sort of an overall ethos of Lumberjanes that nobody is really bad. Everyone that we're having conflict with is either being misunderstood or has a misunderstanding or has a problem that we don't understand. And I think for the context of the middle school reader, this is everybody that we're interacting with in our lives, right? You know, every other kid, the kids we go to school with aren't evil. Right. We are just looking at them in ways that lend malice to what they're doing or they don't understand us you know, it's it's always a lack of communication and understanding, not malice.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for adults, too, right, like a lot of a lot of our interpersonal conflict does come from maybe making assumptions about how how someone else is what someone else's intentions are or. Yeah, that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think a lot of our conflict comes from making assumptions about what other people's intentions are or motivations or um, any of those sorts of things. But it is rarely a feature of adult novels that that you have something like this, that you, that the approach to resolving (laughs) conflict is purely collaborative. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I think um, in the shape of friendship, right? The, the sort of, the central conflict between the main characters, putting the pukas aside for just a moment, (laughs) um, as cute as they are, is April is insecure about um, her changing friendship with Joe. And, yet she's not acknowledging that to to anyone, Mm -hmm. including herself. And I thought it was so interesting drawing that kind of conflict out over the course of the story. It seems to me so challenging. Did you find it difficult, or was it, like, what techniques do you use as you're trying to draw this out?
1: For me, again, it goes back to it's an exploration of feelings that presents itself in trying to find the language the concepts that match the feelings and yeah. so i think what we see april doing over the course of the story is trying to find a voice for the feelings that she's having because at first she's denying them mm-hmm. right next she's uh, she's wildly overcompensating yes by you know acting as though her friendship with joe is over Uh, and that, uh, you know, she's literally giving Barney a list of things to do for Joe for when she's not around. (laughs) And, uh, because she's only able to see these black and white scenarios. And so as the story progresses, she is able to start to sort of see like, you know, this is not a black and white situation. Joe can be friends with more than one person. Joe has needs that are apart from April's needs. And we start to unpack these feelings and express them with words. Then April is finally able to get on board and say, okay, I understand this now. This isn't a threat to me. Hmm. And so that's the process that we're trying to show over the course of the story.
0: So if you don't mind my switching tacks a little, one of the striking features about Lumberjanes that I think works well in part because of, because it's in this world where the friendship really is the focus in a lot of ways, is the way that it normalizes queerness. There are several Mm -hmm. LGBTQ characters, each with a different sort of queer identity and their queer identities are mentioned explicitly. They're part of the background too, but the focus is on the adventures everyone is having in their friendship. Why is that important to you? And how do you achieve that balance between making it clear that that queerness exists in this world and not making that into the sort of, making that take center stage and take away from the rest of what the characters are.
1: That's important. That's something that is really inherent to the series. In a lot of ways, it's a very queer series. It is, you know, queering children's fiction in a very specific way, which is that it is denying the existence of Heteronormativity, cisnormativity mm. um, is sort of saying that these things are not operative in this world, and they are not relevant to the stories that we're telling. So we have Joe, who is a trans girl. We have Barney, who is a non-binary person. We have um, Mal and Molly, who are both, uh, you know, queer girls, and their existence as queer is presented as status quo, right? It's not presented as something that is at odds with the world in which they're living. And that is the most important aspect of it because what we want to present to readers is a world in which these things are completely normal. They should be. That just comes out of simple respect for these identities uh, because so many of the people that work on Lumberjanes are queer themselves. Mm. Um, I think the vast majority, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is something that, that resonates really deeply with, with the folks who work on the series. And it, it resonates deeply for me, you know, personally, you know, because I think about, you know, the way that Jo in particular as a trans girl, that her story is handled in this very beautiful way. And it's told in this metaphor of which camp she belonged to or doesn't belong to, that she she started out at the boys' camp and then she realized she'd be happier at the girls' camp.
0: Hmm.
1: And that's how they explain Joe's transness in this very concrete way. You know, and the thing that I always think about when people ask me about this aspect of Lumberjanes is how how much of a difference it would have made in my life. If I could have read something like that when I was twelve, mm. um, and I often will part to cry when I talk about this because it's so powerful. Um, this normalization of queer identities, this depiction of queer identities, the representation of queer identities—it doesn't just legitimize them, but it also informs the reader that this is a a valid way to be, yeah. right? For me, as a trans person, like I didn't know what being trans was. I didn't know that that was a thing, and so it was impossible for me to understand who I was. And so, a book like that would have radically changed my understanding of myself um, and allowed me to process my ex- experience in very different ways.
0: I loved what you said about the the way that Joe's storyline as. Uh, as a trans girl is handled in the comics about she's at the, she's trying to decide between the boys camp and the girls camp. Cause it, it does that same thing you were talking about, right? Like it, it gives kids the language to think about and talk about their experiences, but it's done within the context of this, of this adventure and also a very normal experience of like going to summer camp.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. That's, I think, what the real hallmark of Loma Jane's is making those things really concrete.
0: Well, and the the vibe I'm getting, the sort of impression I I get from the book as a whole, and as we go through this conversation, is that part of the central ethos of these books is showing the world, uh, showing a world in which everyone acts the way they should. Not necessarily in every little micro interaction, but on the the big broad hold, they're being the people, they're they're acting appropriately, they're being kind and empathetic and sort of actively creating, without sort of being activists, actively creating a world that is better than the one that
1: we have right now. Yeah, for sure. I think that is a, um, I think that's a central facet of Lumberjanes. Um, and I think that's part of what makes it such a powerful reading experience.
0: I think we're seeing more of that in general in literature, and I mean in other types of storytelling too, right now, more of more examples of "Here is the world as it could be." Mm-hmm. One of the things you you occasionally you'll occasionally see in terms of criticism of that is, oh well, it's it's not realistic. How do you respond to that mm-hmm. critique? <laughs>
1: I mean, who cares? Right. Like um, <laughs> it was never meant to be, you know, naturalism. Right. This is not uh, the red badge of courage. This is uh, Lumber Days. So, I mean, we're we're dealing in ideals here. We're yeah. talking about we're explicitly talking about the world that we would like to see rather than the world as it is. Um, and so who cares if it's not? what the real world is. It's not, it's fantasy. That's what the, that's what fantasy is. Fantasy is, um, imagining a world that feels better than the world we live in. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's always funny to me when you hear people lob these critiques, um, at like, superhero comics when they suddenly introduce a non-white character or um, a queer character mm-hmm. or something else. Because it's like, okay, so you you can suspend disbelief around superpowers, <laughs> right. but not around this particular way that the world could be different.
1: Right. And I, I think there was kind of that, that whole, you know, defense of, you know, uh, uh, white supremacy and sexual assault in the Game of Thrones mm. sort of universe. Where it's like, well, that's how it was in the 14th century. It's like, there weren't dragons in the 14th century, dude. Like, that (laughs) was unnecessary. You know, like, these weren't necessary aspects for creating a fantasy. And whether they're legitimate aspects for the type of story you're telling is the whole other question. But they're not necessitated. And I think that's the important question. is like, we don't have to have this if we don't want to.
0: KSQD thanks The Opening, a center for courses in writing, for supporting the story behind the story. The Opening offers classes, book completion groups, and writing retreats in Santa Cruz and online, led by award-winning local writer Andy Couturier, author of The Abundance of Less. More information at theopening.org or 831-728-9983. Thank you, The Opening, for supporting community radio, KSquid 90.7 FM. Welcome to Cats on Dogs, Insights for Both Ends of the Leash. I'm professional dog trainer Lori Katz here with Watsonville's very own radio retriever Chopa. We'll take your calls, answer your dog training questions, and bring you interviews with local experts and international dog training treasures. You'll also have the opportunity to send out love songs and get well soon messages to your favorite canines and other animal companions as well. Listen to Cats on Dogs, the first Saturday of each month, 1 to 2 p.m. on 90.7 KSQD. I'm Clara Shirley Appel, and you're listening to Story Behind the Story on KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz. If you're just joining me, my guest today is Lila Sturges. Lumberjanes takes place at a summer camp. Um, Can you say the name of the summer camp, first of all, because I have a great deal of difficulty pronouncing it.
1: (laughs) I cannot, and the fact that I can never remember the name of it is sort of like, there's a joke about that where Ripley tries to say the name of the camp to the pukas and fails miserably, (laughs) and um, I could not tell you to save my life with the name of the camp
0: (laughs) I'm going to try to say it based on what I found on Wikipedia. It is worth noting. I'll, I'll spell this out um, on the blog post on the website at some point. It is not spelled in any way that like reflects normish, normal English spelling. Um, <laughs> so it's, I think, Miss Keunzella Thisquin, Penaquiquel, Thistle, Crumpets, Camp for Hardcore Lady Types.
1: <laughs> that sounds right. Okay. Okay.
0: Um, do you have experiences from your youth in summer camp? Or do your kids go to summer camp? Oh,
1: my uh, my summer camp experience was a complete nightmare, and I don't oh. want to talk about it. That's <laughs> it's <fine>. absolutely <laughs> terrible. Um, I, I know kids who had a great experience at summer camp. I was not one of them. Um, we'll say no more about that. I, I think one of the things that's really interesting about the name of the camp, you know, when you read... So, some of the surrounding matter of Lumberjanes. It's very interesting because very clearly the camp was at one time called Miss whatever's <laughs> camp for girls. And that has been edited out right. literally on the sign and changed from girls to hardcore lady types, uh, which is very important because not everybody at the Lumberjanes camp necessarily identifies as a girl. hmm including Barney, who is non-binary, right, but who is a Lumberjane. And there's also a very interesting, to me, and, and a very, like, a statement of purpose. In the, the first few issues, you know, they have this, um, like, Lumberjane's Creed, and it talks about, you know, what it means to be a Lumberjane. And then there is crossed out a line or two, and there's a little note that says, and then there's some words about God or something, Hmm. And so it is expressly denying the influence of religion hmm. in Lumberjanes. So it's saying, like, we are taking this institution, right, and we are amending it for our own purposes. Hmm. Um, you know, and I, I talk about, you know, queering as a verb a lot, especially when it comes to Lumberjanes, but one of the things they're doing is, like, explicitly and overtly queering what a girl's summer camp is. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying, um, well, no, we're not allowing normativity to enter into this experience. And so we're explicitly denying it. We're explicitly editing it for our purposes. And I think there's something really clever about that. And I've never asked Shannon about that. But I think, you know, next time I talk to her, I'm going to be like, what was going on there? I have a feeling (laughs) that this. Um, and now I've said in interviews that it's this, but I want to make sure that that's actually what you were thinking.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting. That It goes back to that sort of, things are both explicit and in the background, right? Like, they're not necessarily mm-hmm. part of everything. All they, they, They're not necessarily the central focus, but they're there, and there's no way to pretend that they're not there.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's a really fascinating aspect of the series.
0: It's And it's... It, you know, it's a really fascinating series in general. This is not necessarily something that I would have picked up um, immediately on my own, but I have so many friends who are into it. And, of course, I um, have read a lot of your other stuff. And I find diving into this world, it's just so, it's, it's like diving into tropical waters. <laughs> it's, it's such a pleasant place to uh-huh. hang out. <laughs>
1: That's a perfect place to hang out, isn't it? Like, it's just so nice. and um, The stakes are low. And you know that everybody loves each other and everyone's going to be okay. And I think that, you know, especially, you know, when we live in such fraught times where we don't know from day to day if everything's going to be okay, it's nice to be able to have these worlds where we know that everyone's safe. Yeah. Everyone treats each other with love and kindness.
0: It's a different kind of escapism.
1: hmm It's a very healthy kind of escapism, I think. It's so good for you.
0: <laughs> One of the things that I had read is that in the comics, though not as far as I could tell in this graphic novel, everyone ends with a mixtape. hmm Can you tell me about that?
1: I don't know about the mixtapes. I don't have a mixtape, so that is not... Um... Something I did. <laughs> if you
0: were making a soundtrack for The Shape of Friendship, what would be on it?
1: Oh my gosh. Um I don't know. I would have to email you later. <laughs> my my taste in music is so basic. <laughs> it's almost embarrassing to admit. Um so, I mean, it would be something like, you know, that's what friends are for or something awful like that. I can't even begin to imagine. Who is that by? Um, who is it? That's what friends are for. Keep smiling. Keep shining. Um, who sings it? I don't even know. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> move on. Okay, okay. We'll okay. move on. <laughs> if you were
0: designing a series of your own, a comic series of your own, what would be the features of it?
1: Well, I, I mean, I'm always doing that, right? Like, I'm always designing um, comic series of my own. And, um, you know, the, the things that I'm, I'm thinking about lately are how can I dramatize feelings or conflicts that, that matter to me? Hmm. Um, and so, for instance, I've, I've got a pitch that I'm working on right now, where one of the, the central elements is two uh, male friends who love each other deeply and aren't ashamed to show their feelings for each other. And because I see so much and have experienced so much in my own past of you know the destructive nature of toxic masculinity and how it prevents boys and men mm. from loving each other. You know, when when I transitioned socially and you know, began to be accepted in, in women's spaces, you know, one of the things that really struck me um, and it was what I had hoped for is the, the, the depth and closeness that women can feel toward each other. Mm. Women are allowed to feel towards each other in our culture right? Women can hug. Women can say, I love you. Um, we can share deep, 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 deep feelings, and it's okay. And all these things are sort of like thumbs up from society, right? Boys don't have access to that. And so um, I wanted to create a space, a storytelling space, to sort of like examine what if we had, what if we lived in a place where boys could love each other, as friends, the same way girls can,
0: mm.
1: and what does that look like? And so I sort of devised a whole world around that concept, um, with these two boys at the center of it. There's, uh, it's kind of like this western with like wild robots and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the the overt plot is all the robots. Um, but the focus of it is these two boys. And so I, I think that for me, that I want to tell stories going forward is I especially want to, um, you know, my my primary focus is and always will be writing stories that represent um, and depict LGBTQ youth, right? Cause that's sort of my particular mission as a writer. And so I want to center those people and tell or retell stories that center them. But really it's it's you know it's anything that sort of like catches my attention and and where I think this is something that needs to be represented better. This is something that would be healing for people to be able to experience. I think that's what I'm most interested in as a writer these days.
0: Things that things that are healing. Yeah. I actually really like when you're telling me about that story, that you said it in a sort of cowboy western world because i think that is in a lot of ways the locus in pop culture of a slightly earlier age of like the most toxically masculine ideals
1: exactly exactly (laughs) yes very much on purpose (laughs) (laughs)
0: um what what is that called is it out is it available
1: it's not out it's not um it hasn't been um bought or anything, so I can't really talk about it any okay. more than that. It's just sort of the vague, but that's the basic idea, yeah. Well, I really hope it gets
0: picked up. Um, what else are you working on these days? What can we look forward to in addition to The Shape of Friendship later this month?
1: Sure. Um, we've got um, also the following on The Magician's Alice's Story is a five-issue Magician's miniseries from Boom, um, and the first issue comes out November 6th. Um, There will be a third Lumberjanes OGN that focuses on on Ripley and Jen, and that will come out next year. We're just starting on that right now. It's very exciting. And I'm trying to think, what else can I... I have a a graphic novel that I've been working on with um, an artist named Megan Carter that is absolutely wonderful, and it's got a young trans protagonist and that's going to be announced next year. And um, I've got, a, lot, I've got a, a couple things that are just getting started right now that I'm really excited about and, of course, cannot talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the main things.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today, Lila Sturges. Listeners, you can pre-order Lumberjanes, The Shape of Friendship um, anywhere comic books are sold. Follow Lila on Twitter at Lila Sturges. Anything else you want to say before we leave?
1: Just thanks so much for having me on and uh, for this really lovely discussion.
0: Thank you. Catch Story Behind the Story the first Saturday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. on KSQD 90.7 FM. To share your thoughts on this or other shows, drop me a line at clara at ksqd.org. Story Behind the Story is produced for KSQD 90.7 FM by me, Clara Shirley Appel. Our sound engineer is Lanier Sammons. He also wrote our theme.